Abby, I wanted to say that um, I'm delighted to meet you. I think your shows are incredibly funny, um, the ones I've heard with Jim. And um, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I shared a picture of me and Jim in the chat before. I don't know if you saw that. That was um, from almost a decade ago now. But I have kind of like a, a habit of having like a picture of the guests open or like Jim and the guests um, open on my computer so I can see who I'm talking to. And since we don't know each other, I basically had to um, get a picture of you to do this. And so I, I made you something and I was wondering if I could share it with you in the chat. I, I'm I'm excited. I'm on tenterhooks. Okay. Okay, great. All right. This is for you. So I could only find a, a picture of you on, on Twitter. Uh, it's your profile picture. And I, I didn't want to assume too much um, about, you know, how you'd like to be represented. So I didn't over-genderize your body, but I wanted to give you a good body. And I, I hope I hope this is good for you. Is this a, a duck-billed platypus? It's, it's a beaver. Oh, that is a flat tail. Do duck-billed platypuses also have flat tails? They or do. They do. Is it just... Okay. So I, I'm not completely foolish for getting confused. <laughs> It's sort okay. of convergent evolution there. Right? It's hard to tell because you can't see the bill. Oh, with a trophy for swimming and a... My goodness, thank you so much. And, and a, a charming hat, <laughs> which I don't own in real life, but wish I do. And and little birthday streamers behind it for reasons which I'll admit elude me. Well, so I wanted this to be... <laughs> I wanted this to be like really you know, impressive. I wanted to give you a really good body without, um, you know, assuming too much. So I just made you like a champion swimmer, right? So you have two, okay, yeah, you yeah. have two swimming trophies. I, I can see this, uh, this beaver has a, a wonderful swimmer's physique. Yes. Yes. And, uh, perfect, and very perfect. clean comb claws, if, if you're into that. Wonderful. What did you say? I, I won't ask. A comb claw? It's it's like a special... A comb claw, okay. Yeah, it's a special claw on the beaver's um, foot that allows them to get the oil through their fur. Yes, the the birthday is there because I this is a festive occasion and, and you're really happy. I've got a bow tie on for yeah. the occasion. <laughs> the hat, the flower, <laughs> and the bow tie are because of, of your style, your style, and the lemon is just for elegance, I think, so... So this is the picture of you that I'm going to have open on my computer while we chat. And I, I hope you like it because I, I really, I would love if you, if you liked this. <laughs> I, I'm honored. This, this brings me no end of joy. And coincidentally, I am currently uh, clutching a lemon between my forepaws oh, wow. <laughs> and sort of running them around it. Um, <laughs> I didn't know I was psychic, but but uh, I'll update my CV. Well, well, it's it's an after dinner lemon because I've just gnawed on some trees to build a, a dam <laughs> in in the LA River, which uh, many people say is is pointless uh, because there is no water there. But uh, I say it's just foresight. <laughs> yeah, you're planning for the future. You never know. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I've I've never felt so much like um so much like a member of the X Men in my life. <laughs> I'm Erica. And I'm Abby Denton. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. As we record, it is at 162 beats. Erica, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Um, I would like to plug memorably embarrassing yourself when you meet somebody so that they remember you. It seems very effective. <laughs> do we have to pay a licensing fee when we do this, or...? <laughs> Is it sort of a gratis service you provided the world? It's kind of an inborn thing. I think it's a feature or a bug of my personality, depending on how you see those things. Well, I, I think that anyone can profit from something if they, if they you know, put their mind to it. Uh, it's just a question of finding a situation. I, I, I think if, if um, you, you put your mind to, to confidence trickster work, uh, you could probably uh, get a lot of people to play along with your schemes just to get you to leave them alone. <laughs> I should clarify, this is playing along with your introduction of embarrassing yourself. You haven't, in fact, embarrassed yourself in this situation. You seem lovely. Oh, thank you. You're doing great. Yeah, what What if you fuck up and delight everybody instead? Yeah, that's, uh, then you have to plug something else in the next show yeah. to keep track of those things. Uh, and Abby, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? 
Oh, I would love to introduce myself. Tragic. I still have nothing uh, more recent to plug than my, my web series, Cyber Cafe. You can find it at abbydenton.podbean.com. It's an audio sitcom set in a dystopian cyberpunk future. I play a, a cool hacker whose anti-establishment principles drive her to pirate every episode of Digimon. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm, I'm hooked already. It draws from reality. Yeah, when you talk about dystopian futures, like, how do you really distinguish it from the now? Is it just the number of Digimon, like, episodes that you're downloading? <laughs> <laughs> there aren't enough Digimon in the future. They uh, Frontier has been lost. The whole season is just oh, gone. No. no one knows what happened to it. Oh, no. No one even talks about savers anymore, which is a shame. It has some good ideas. <laughs> but Ghost Game's still going. I, I, I believe in it. <laughs> Are we ready to start on some topics? Let's do it. Abby, your topic is scale modeling hacks for broke hobbyists. I'm sure I had a lot of great ideas uh, when I wrote this in. I don't so much anymore. <laughs> w- would you like to do a different topic? There's another one. <laughs> I have a few that I can remember. Okay, all right. How, how about this other one that is also in the bucket? Sharawadgi Landscaping. No, no, let's do scale modeling hacks for broke hobbyists. I feel it, it dovetails with Lobsang Rampa a lot, does uh, Sharawazi landscaping as a history. So I can just tell you some scale modeling hacks just up front. We don't even have to talk about them. I, you, we can just keep it in our minds. It's, it's just a gift from me to you. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, scale modeling is, is all about, you know, how you want to make it. it, it it's an art form, like, like most art forms, you, you know, there, there's not like... Oh, it has to be oil paint. It can be acrylic paint or whatever. But what what fascinates me about uh, scale modeling is the the number of products that will be sold for lots and lots and lots of money that you can easily substitute for something you get at the dollar store. For example, one of one of the most crucial hacks, especially for uh, gunpla and other sort of uh, figure scale models, is if a joint is loose. And and this is true of even action figures where you don't care about the aesthetics. If a, if a joint is loose and, and you can pull it off of the peg, you, you paint clear nail polish over the peg. And then eventually once it dries, the, the peg is a little thicker and it, it sits in there better and it can, it can pose better, which is important. This was probably something that I thought was a great idea and put in the topic bucket uh, before there was a deadly pandemic raging. Because I used to belong, well, not belong to, I used to, to occasionally go to a, a building group at uh, the downtown Los Angeles Gundam store. Uh, on Fridays, and there was this this high schooler who would also go there, and he, he was having a dickens of a time keeping. I believe it was a hobby Isaac. No, it was a, a regular Isaac, a high grade figure that he he owned. And if you're a gunpla fan, you'll understand that I wouldn't want to mislead people that they'd made an up to date hobby Isaac <laughs> figure. But the real Isaac had this loose leg, and I was like, I oh, just go to a dollar store, get some some clear nail polish. It's it's really cheap. And and he explained to me that uh, that's not something that was socially an option for him. As a, as a young man in high school. And it, it just seemed like a heartbreaking moment. And I, I, every time I'm at the dollar store, ever since, I always think I should get some clear nail polish to give to this young boy who's now in college, probably. I don't even know where on earth he is. I saw him at a 7-Eleven a year ago. He's yeah, you fine. Get a, you get like a flask out of the dollar store and you put some tape on it and you write man juice on the flask. <laughs> and then you pour the <laughs> nail polish into that. This is a gold idea. I like the way you think it. If I'd thought of that when I ran into this kid at uh, 7-Eleven last year, I would have... Uh, man juice for men only. Not just uh, uh, clear nail polish, because it's also like like things like uh, cheap blush palettes you can just sort of get at Dollar General or whatever uh, are, are great for making sort of weathering and battle damage and stuff, because a lot of them will have like browns and reds that sort of make sort of iron-rich mud um, if you mix it up with stuff like uh, floor polish. I just think that kind of thing is neat because it's like a little <laughs> trick that's passed down through the generations. And then you'll have a company that's selling like the exact same stuff you can get at the dollar store. But it's called like Scale Emperor. Man paint. And it's sold at hobby stores only to fools. For men only. Basically, yes. Truly toxic. Yeah. <laughs> from, from my perspective as a scale modeler, this balances out the fact that it's more expensive to buy like pink razor blades. <laughs> yes. Right. I think it, I think we're we're even now. You're actually giving like very good advice, and I but I saw this uh, topic in the topic bucket, and I was thinking like, okay, scale modeling hacks for broke hobbyists. I figured this was going to be more of like a a Gallagher thing, where you're like, you know, you've got like a watermelon, put it in a vice and squish it. 
You know, yeah. like you've got <laughs> you've got like a a city block, like put it in a vice and squish. Make everything, you know, that much smaller, which would also be cheap. You'd need to splurge for the vice, I guess. But yeah, getting a vice big enough to hold a whole city block, that's not cheap. (laughs) (laughs) My whole neighborhood is in in the grip of the vice squad. Uh, We live in fear. Yeah. Whenever helicopters go over it, sorry. <laughs> Just squish it. You mentioned offhandedly, <laughs> passed down through the generations, but like, actually, where do you learn this stuff? You know, it, it's it's funny you say that. There's, um, you know that old joke about like any technical problem you're having, you'll find like a forum from 15 years ago where someone's like having the exact same problem as you. And then they'll post, oh, I found the solution and they won't say what the solution was and you're just very frustrated by the way yeah the other thing that happens is that you find the forum post 15 years ago and there's an answer that says just google it (laughs) (laughs) oh that's the worst scale modeling forums on the other hand like it i think possibly just because scale modeling is something that appeals mostly to like 60 year old men who sort of have a basement right and now need something to put in the basement now that their kids have taken away all of their stuff out of the house they've all moved on your life is now empty. Your wife's probably left you. This is how I'm led to believe the 60s are going to go for all of us. Your turkey sandwich is dry and lonely. They, <laughs> they left you because they found out about your cache of nail polish remover and blush in the basement. Uh, how embarrassing. Uh, but yeah, so, so they're, they're sort of a little slower to adopt like the new, you know, Twitter where it's impossible to find scale modeling tips because it's mostly just people insulting each other for having the wrong Gundam waifu. <laughs> but like, you know, there, there's now like 30 years of scale modeling forums reviewing like a weird motorcycle model kit that's been like put out by three different manufacturers, but it's the same uh, mold. And you'll you'll have some guy like arguing over the, the quality of their their axle modeling. I don't know. It's it's easier to sort of feel connected with the old generations uh, with scale modeling, I feel, than with most. Just because their their internet forums are like more persistent, still there, yeah, yeah. more yeah. persistent and nerdier somehow. Like the anger is channeled into the hobby rather than you know <laughs> channeled into trying to insult people. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I deleted my Facebook years ago, so I can't even check. But like, I'm sure there's also like very bleak like train guy Facebook groups that have have turned full Nazi. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, but these forums seem to be holding holding steady. It's good. That's probably because nobody's posting there anymore. It's, there's just the archives. This is fair. This is fair. Some of them, you know, you'll be sharing your, here's this plane I built. Here's my, if you paint uh, tinfoil just right, it'll look like like waves of water <laughs> underneath this seaplane. It, it's so <laughs> nice. Like, I just like looking at a nice diorama. It brings me so much joy. Yeah. I learn a lot by reading YouTube comments, which is also like not suggested in general, but um <laughs> But you know, like there's not there's not really like a way to interact in YouTube comments in, in a way that's meaningful, especially if the comment was from ten years ago. Um, mm. But I I learned uh, listeners to the show will know that I pickle everything except for eggs, which was covered in another show specifically in the egg pickling topic. <laughs> But uh, sometimes, like, if you pickle stuff, you get kind of like a scum of mold on top, and it doesn't taste good, and it can, like, make your entire batch terrible. But you don't necessarily want to throw out, like, an entirely lovingly prepared batch of food that you've been, like, cultivating for a month. And somebody in the YouTube comments said, in Korea, if you get this on your kimchi... You basically just make a new brine and transfer everything into the new brine. This person has yeah. like changed my life, you know, through a YouTube comment, and I don't know how to thank them. <laughs> <laughs> you got to track them down. You find their username, put it into Spokio, yeah, and then go to the first address that comes up, and then and you Photoshop a, a photo of them wearing a. A hat and a bow tie with the body of a beaver. <laughs> Holding a lemon. And you should stuff it in their mailbox. It's their birthday. <laughs> that, they'll love that. People love that. <laughs> That's delightful. <laughs> That's a great idea. The other way to do it is if anybody calls them out on their nail polish remover, you ha- say you have it just in case you accidentally get some nail polish on you and you have to remove it real fast so it can be more masculine. <laughs> 
Nail polish remover, yeah. I mean, you can add all kinds of flesh wounds to your characters. That That's very manly. But the nail polish itself is, is still probably too feminine. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare art form that, that's sort of, like painting, is it, sort of it, a gender neutral activity. Like no one's going to look at a paintbrush and be like, oh, th- that looks manly or like dainty or, or whatever. But scale modeling, uh, you'll be using, you know, blush to make mud or whatever. But then you, you'll also just like be jamming at something with a soldering iron to make bullet holes. <laughs> and it's tremendously entertaining. I've, I've never felt so, so much like I, I transcended all, all human uh, notion. Yeah. I recommend it. You, you sort of feel like you're some kind of Terminator. It sounds delightful. <laughs> or you can put it in a vice and squish it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to transcend delight as well. So maybe it doesn't sound delightful. Maybe it sounds... <laughs> Completely, completely neutral. Sounds neutral, yeah. It, would you say the Terminator is a gender-neutral character? You know... Specifically, like, the, 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 the man Terminator. Right, it would be, except that they put, like, a skin with a penis on it on top of the, the neutral robot. Like, whose idea was that? Yeah, I could see I could see somebody writing a thesis about how the Terminator is, is female-coded, actually. Um, because of all the transitions that they make with their body and how mm. really that's like the female experience and not the male experience. Oh, and taking on a, a childcare role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though, obviously, the, they, well, yes, yes. You could you could definitely bullshit a great paper out of that. Yeah, we should do that right now. <laughs> Probably get more citations than my actual work. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you just have to learn how to go viral. I don't know how I could academically cite this picture of a, a horrible beaver with my face on it. What? That's a great uh, but beaver. But if, if I could, I'd, I'd put it, it... It's a great picture, but it's a terrible subject. It's a horrifying... That is a champion beaver. <laughs> gonna wake up shaking, having a nightmare about, no, mom, I don't want to go back in the, the lake. It's too cold. I'm sick of all these lemons, mom. <laughs> They're making my horrible mutant human face pucker. <laughs> Eat your lemons and sit in the dark in the lodge. The winter will soon be over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to live in a lodge. I want to live in a tiny wooden hole. Yeah. And just, just slumber. Yeah. Do, you, do beavers get pruny? They get pruny? <laughs> oh. On their fingertips? Uh, I don't know. I mean, so I've actually... Oh, I thought for sure you took a course on this. <laughs> No, no, I mean, like, I've held I've held a dead beaver and I've looked oh at its God. feet very closely. I didn't mean after they died. <laughs> no, but, but you should know that their, their feet are very, um, like, almost scaly. Mm. So I, I think that I'm going to have to say no. That, okay. the, that the ways that they sense things underwater with their hands um, is already kind of built in because they spend so much time underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, we, to to be able to feel things underwater, that's why our fingers become pruny, is to, like, have more wrinkles and have more surface area to sense things underwater so that we can grab them. Right. I forgot about this. It's not like a... a- a natural reaction to getting wet. It's actually uh, something that it's a signal our brains send to the fingers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an active response to, to being in the water, which is like totally incredible to me. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, this would be a, a different topic maybe uh, for a different time, but there are all kinds of animals that are handed, right? Like the otters and, and beavers and, there's something called a yapok, which is like a little swimmy South American underwater guy. <laughs> like raccoons have, have hands and stuff. And like basically the ability to kind of manipulate things is such sensory information for your brain that your brain grows in, in response. So like we not only touch things, but we imagine that we can make things like scale modeling things for broke hobbyists and (laughs) and so on like how are we gonna do that like we make tools to make things and all of that comes from the ability to manipulate your environment so these these mammals in particular or some birds but but mammals in particular like um the more they manipulate things with their hands um the larger their brain grows and basically like otters now are 
so smart and their brains are growing so fast that their skull cavity can't keep up. So if you look at the inside of the skull cavity of an, of an otter that has been like necropsied, you'll see the impression of the brain pushing into the skull cavity of the, of the uh. otter. Yeah, their, their heads will get bigger over time to, to compensate, but they're becoming like smarter because they can, they can manipulate things. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is information that I hope is passed down the mammals of history. <laughs> when they're choosing to buy their nail polish. If we like augmented their skull, like like split it down the middle and built a bigger skull for them, could could we create super otters? I think we could. Yeah, I mean otters are pretty <laughs> super to begin with, but um I I don't know, but like maybe with even um, just some relief of that pressure, their brains would get bigger and you would get smarter individuals that you did that to. But I, I don't know, because like they're super social, right? And you don't want to like take one out of the wild, subject it to surgery and then put it back into the wild, right? So the answer is we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, you'd need to do it to a bunch of them so they could commiserate. You don't want to know what animals have in store for us, which is which is what I learned from my natural history courses. <laughs> well, don't worry, my cats won't eat my body until after I die. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Erica, your topic is nobody should live here redux. Nobody should live here either. Oh, yeah. So this is, um, I complained about living in Tucson and mostly it being too hot. But we have um, recently moved to Midland, Texas, which um, if you look at the map, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and the reason why it exists is because it's on top of like a cap rock, which holds a bubble of petroleum underneath it. So the entire world's climate is teetering on whatever the hell is going on here. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the apartment's the apartments are lovely and they're nice and uh, life can be quite pleasant and we have um, we have good barbecue, which is always what they say Ooh. about here. It's true. Um, and the weather is nice, uh, but the climate is uh, a disaster. The things that I want to say about living here, which make it uh, somewhat unlivable, is that because it's Texas, they don't really require the city to clean the water. So the water is undrinkable and full of fracking chemicals. I've never lived in a part of the US where the water is just generally not potable. How do you wash your dishes? So we wash them and we use them and we try not to think about them. But um, showering gives me a rash. So I have to like rinse off with distilled water. Oh, geez. So sorry. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to... Uh, to give you the reasons why you shouldn't live here. <laughs> <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. So, like, there's not much to do here. So they have some good Asian food. Like, they have real Chinese food here, which is, like, definitely a plus. Um, but there, there really isn't much to do uh, in terms of, like, going out and seeing things or hiking or anything. So we have to kind of, like, look for other recreation. Now, this is the place that Friday Night Lights was written about. So football is a big thing here, but we don't follow football and we don't attend football things. Um, so recently there was a, an article in the, in the online newspaper that was like, Midland, Texas, what's that smell? And a apparently like part of Midland smelled like shrimp <laughs> for like a week. We went like scent hunting and like we drove around midland trying to find the shrimp smell and unfortunately whatever had happened had been fixed by then <laughs> but yeah this is this is the kind of thing that happens here and it's quite it's quite lovely it's like full of oak trees and and family homes and uh people raising their families and stuff but there's kind of like some underlying badness that literally bubbles up from time to time that people don't really like to acknowledge here. It's a fabulously wealthy place because this is where all of the oil ex is extracted, but it's it's also like uh, somewhat dangerous and unsettling. So this is my nobody should live here either redux. Uh, this time it's personal. <laughs> so can you tell us why you chose this place as your destination? It was kind of a a thing about the academic job market. So um, so last year, 
I basically um, went off of the academic job market because my job was really stressing me out. And my doctors were saying, you know what, you you need to take some time off. And like as a as a young academic, you just can't persist while taking some time off. So I'm transitioning out of academics. But what that meant was that when my job ended, my, my husband had to take a job. So there's a, um, a University of Texas campus here, and he's a professor, and we have like a big, gorgeous lab space, and we have um, tons of students who are like very interested in working with us. But the one thing that they did not say in his interview was like, beware the water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is like a, a Texas-wide problem, but I think it's very interesting because there are some like realities to petroleum extraction that people don't really understand. Like driving in, we were kind of a little bit appalled because you have these like flaring gas fields um, around the city and it looks like the apocalypse. But then when you get to the city, it's fine. Except sometimes like there's even like a pump jack or like an oil derrick, you know, those those things that you see bobbing up and down extracting oil. Sometimes people will have those in their yards. And it's just this kind of um, pipe dream, like nice dystopian fantasy at the same time. I, I would encourage science fiction writers to come here. Like it's very interesting. Like the whole experience is very interesting. I mean, I've already seen Blade Runner, so. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, though, you know, like it's uh, it's nicer than that. It's <laughs> fair. Okay. <laughs> It's just, you know, the pump jacks, like, everywhere, you know, and you get to the point where you can kind of identify there are, like, little cute ones, uh, there are bigger ones that are, you know, probably made by a different manufacturer. They're, they come in different types, but the it's real strange to go from, like, oil extraction is ending civilization to, like, that one's pretty cute, actually, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you could get the same effect by looking at Bitcoin mining rigs. Yeah, and <laughs> we have those outside of the city. In fact, they they are uh, attempting to uh, court Chinese Bitcoin miners to come here because it's so unregulated. Right, right, and then you can power the Bitcoin mining computers just like right out of the ground. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping that the um, desire for rich Texans to uh, extract oil is outweighed at some point by the desire of other people to be cheap and just get energy from the sun and the copious amounts of wind that we have here. Mm -hmm. There are days that are just, you know, 45 miles an hour all day because we're at the edge of the Great Plains. It's a place that could be generating a lot of wind power as well. Right. Well, here, here's my pitch for uh, the, the Bitcoin miners of the world. If you build a swimming pool, and you have all of your all of your your overclocked uh, mining computers underneath the swimming pool, heating it up with all of their excessive heat. Then then the steam from the swimming pool can can then power your generator, creating a, a perfect loop, a perpetual motion machine. I think you should patent that. That's In, an excellent infinity idea. electricity. That's that's what I say. You're welcome. Solve the world. They need more innovators like you. <laughs> My brother and my sister both have PhDs, and I, I don't see why I shouldn't, too. <laughs> In this day and age, somebody will be willing to grant you one if you look around enough. <laughs> I'll just look at the richest guy in the room and say, you know that stuff you do? As far as I'm concerned, it's perfect. You're doing great. <laughs> and then just open my wallet and cash will fly in. Degree granted. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Certainly. My topic is... Anal Sampling Mechanism, which is a uh, French techno DJ. <laughs> the, the, sorry, that's just a little joke. Uh, it's, uh, the Anal Sampling Mechanism is it's, – it's how we know th that our butts are filled with gas and not poop. And so it's how we what? know it's safe to <laughs> fart. People do make mistakes. So about this French DJ? <laughs> <laughs> The ability of the rectum to discriminate between gaseous liquid and solid contents is essential to the ability to voluntarily control defecation. And I just think it's fascinating that we have this, like, in addition to the five regular senses known to man, we have this sixth sense that's just in our butts of... <laughs> 
<laughs> whether there's solid or liquid or gas in there. Huh. Interesting. I wonder if that could be considered a sixth sense. Like, I haven't thought too much about this. Well, like, along with the dozens of other sixth senses. For instance. Like, a sense of direction might be a sixth sense, right? Right. Like, some people seem to know where they are and which way they're headed. It's not me. Uh, I'm fascinated with it because it's definitely not me. I, d I mean, I wonder if this is also, like, learned, because babies don't. Maybe babies just don't care. Yeah. Maybe they have it and they don't care, you know? I, I think it's the word sampling that's throwing me off. <laughs> yeah. Anal mechanism I'm fine with. Right. Who doesn't love an anal mechanism? Sounds very important. It's necessary. <laughs> sampling, you've lost me. It's where the DJ goes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, in this case, sampling is used in the sense of like, hmm, I'll take a sample of what's in here and analyze it. Yeah, I mean, dinosaurs have like, a second brain in their tails to because they're huge, right. right? They can't control everything from so far away up in their head. So uh, I think what you're proposing is that there's a little consciousness in your butt. Yeah, it's like yeah. I'll take more of those, please. You got to <laughs> take care of your butt consciousness. <laughs> also, the physiological basis for the anal sampling mechanism is poorly understood. So we don't even know how it works. It's because it's not real. That's right. It's not it's real. Fake. <laughs> every time we loosen our sphincters, we're we're playing ducks and drakes with our our social lives. <laughs> every time, every time you shart, it, it's a it's a gamble, and I am prone to losing. Yeah, the anal sampling mechanism is a fake idea. What is that true? Is that no? We we've just established it by sharting once. We're denying it. Yeah, we're we're rejecting this notion. We're upending probably years of scientific research. Into the anal sampling mechanism. You're rejecting the rejectamenta theory? <laughs> oh, no. What is the anal sampling mechanism sample size? Oh, that, that I thought there would be something if I went down that road and there wasn't. It's significant. You know what I like is Rain World. No one's pooping in Rain World. I don't actually like Rain World. That game was very <laughs> difficult. But like at the moment, my brain keeps making me want to think about the game Rain World because it isn't about anal sampling mechanism so it, it, it's just casting away to anything it can think of <laughs> it's your you're a little cat that's also a slug <laughs> and, and you're you're trapped on the wheel of samsara as we all are yeah. and and you have to eat stuff uh -huh. in order to not die of starvation and that's pretty much it that's the whole thing huh the wheel of samsara is is the term for the process by which one's anus right Oh, I thought, it, I thought it was a French techno yeah. DJ. <laughs> How quickly the tables turn. I wonder if that game would have sold more copies had it just been called the anal sampling mechanism. <laughs> I feel like there's a list of games that you could call anal sampling mechanism and it would work. Mm -hmm. And there's another list where it, you couldn't and it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think Rain World is one of the, the ones where you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds sounds misnamed because if you're eating, you're you're really referring to some other sphincter. That's true. He can sort of excrete the things that he's eaten <laughs> sometimes. Oh, okay. Maybe um, Super Mario. Is he a form of anal sampling mechanism? No, he's an Italian. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shall we move on to we, another yeah, are topic? <laughs> are we ready to move on to the Emperor of Ice Cream? I think so. For this topic, we're going to be reading the poem, The Emperor of Ice Cream, and then discussing the what it means to, to each of us. Okay. So <laughs> I'll, I'll read this and then we can begin begin the fun. Is this the first time that you've done Poetry Corner on Topic Lords? We've done one episode prior to this, ah. and none of us could figure out what the hell the poem was about, and I'm expecting the same thing to happen here. Well, I read this in college. Oh, so, hang on, hang on, spoilers. <laughs> no, it's like, I, I just want to say, I might have like a pretentious air during this bit, and I, I ask you ahead of time to forgive me. <laughs> oh, that's, this is... I was going to say, I've been frantically Googling to find like a really insightful description to claim as my own. Yeah, yeah. There's a poem guide. If you go to poetryfoundation.org, it says this poem has a poem guide, and I can click the link oh, that wow. says view poem guide. I haven't done it yet. The Emperor of Ice Cream by Wallace Stevens. Call the roller of big cigars, the muscular one, and bid him whip, in kitchen cups, concupiscent curds, 
Let the wenches dawdle in such dress as they are used to wear, and let the boys bring flowers in last month's newspapers. Let B be finale of seam. The only emperor is the emperor of ice cream. Take from the dresser of deal, lacking the three glass knobs that sheet, or that sheet, I'm not sure, on which she embroidered fantails once, and spread it so as to cover her face. If her horny feet protrude, they come, to show how cold she is and dumb. Let the lamp affix its beam. The only emperor is the emperor of ice cream. And there it is, folks. Copyright 1954 by Wallace Stevens. Two stanzas. Short one. Yep. Even for him. Okay, who wants to talk? So, judging from this poem, and I can't remember the name of the previous one, someone on, on the topic, in, in the Topic Lord's Discord, quoted a, a poetry professor, I think, talking about how their goal isn't, like, they're not, you're not supposed to learn how to find hidden meanings in a poem. You're just supposed to, what, the, what he's trying to teach you is how to think about it more effectively or to mm -hmm. like pay better attention to the poem. But like judging by this poem and the previous one we did, poems are puzzle boxes that you have to decipher in order you have to crack the code like a crossword to figure out what the hell they're even talking about. Apparently this one's about a funeral. I had to look that up. Yeah. All of Wallace Stevens to me is is kind of a puzzle box and like some of it is um enjoyable in the sense that he has kind of an easy way with language and he's not rolling you up into a ball to unpack every line. Mm -hmm. I just saw like a Chris Fleming skit today on theater where he was sort of acting like somebody who does theater. And he says, why do I do theater? It's to bore my friends and family <laughs> when they don't like it. I like it best. And like this, that, that sums up my attitude towards a lot of Wallace Stevens. Like, why did you write this? Why is it so difficult to understand? Like, there was a, a guide that I found for this poem, and it, it said the same thing. Like, it said the first stanza is about kind of, kind of like luxury and um, flamboyant sexuality. And this, the second stanza, is more about death and decay and dryness and flatness without emotion. And like, maybe, maybe that fits, but it's kind of like, I didn't enjoy it. And it would, even when I read it in college, my professor had no insight into this poem whatsoever. <laughs> it, it just kind of like existed. And it's like, okay, well now it has a meaning. Does that mean that I like it now? And the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next, next, next episode, I'm going to pick a poem that anybody in history has liked. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a bad poem. I, I don't know, Abby. What are you What are you thinking? Is I mean, I I just like the word concupiscent, and I also think it's extremely funny that Poetry Foundation uh, highlights the word concupiscent, and you can mouse over and get a definition of the word concupiscent. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is uh, sensual desires. But then it, immediately above it, and sort of overlapping with the highlight. They've highlighted the word bid to define it for us, which is almost mockingly funny. Right, yeah. You don't know what wench means? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my favorite thing about a lot of poetry is just like an excuse to use weird words, <laughs> uh, which I'm aware is sort of uh, intellectualizing to the point that it, it becomes like really stupid. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I think if it sounds nice, it doesn't even have to mean anything, right? Like, it's like poetry doesn't necessarily have to have meaning, right? And I, mm. I, I almost like don't like this poem because it does have some meaning underlying everything. You just have to mm. kind of work at it and work at it. Like, there's a um, an old uh, Southern author named Flannery O'Connor and she wrote short stories, and she objected to people trying to find themes in her story. Hmm. Not that her works don't have themes, but she she said like people look for the themes like as if they could pull it out like a string, and that the entire story would fall open like a sack of grain. I see the promise in that. Like a story can be about anything without having to make everything wrapped up into a moralizing or meaningful or even kind of reflective statement. 
Um, and I, mm. I feel that way about poetry too. Like it doesn't have to have um, a meaning. It can just be, it could be like a picture or something. It could be some nice syllables. It could be some nice syllables. Yeah. yeah it could be some stuff that sounds good together. Yeah. And it, it, it is a nice little, you know, sort of the, the end of everyone's life is just, you know, a little party. A bunch of delicious curds. <laughs> and dawdling wenches. If I have ice cream at my wake, I want it to be prepared by a, a buff <laughs> cigar maker. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean that that's that is something. And I to... want wenches dawdling. <laughs> <laughs> that is something to construct life goals around for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was I was looking through the uh, the poem guide and sort of what you can conclude like uh, from this lady's furniture being really cheap. Oh, she must have been broke, and so this is like a nice thing seeing her off which, which like it, it does add to it but it, it isn't like impenetrable which is nice right but like like this so it's called the emperor of ice cream right and like reading through it a couple of times like what would this poem be without that title and without both stanzas ending in the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream well they'd need another em word to end it with to rhyme <laughs> You know, on, on the one hand, you're right, but on the other hand, uh, you know, if he just submitted The Emperor of Ice Cream by Wallace Stevens, the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream, the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream, then I think the poem would be missing something. So I, I think I think you need these sort of vestigial bits. Are you saying, like, get rid of everything except those two lines? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think uh, it's sort of like, you know, you, you ever see those old landscapes where there'd be like a cow there drawn by someone who I, I don't know if they'd never seen a cow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or if it's just like a weird cow. Yeah, those are my favorite. But like yeah. the landscape around it is lovely and you need that sort of thing to anchor it, even though it's an eyesore. Yeah, I think this is what makes me uncomfortable about the poem is like the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream probably refers to the the muscular one whipping concupiscent curds in the first stanza oh he's the emperor like i've been trying to figure this I out this know. whole time like if well is the second emperor the emperor of ice cream is that god are we supposed to is this like now theology <laughs> render unto caesar the pecan clusters that are to caesar so there's even a, an annotation for that line which is nonsense quotes hamlet and the only connection to the line is that they both have the word emperor in it um, <laughs> yeah. Well, only emperor, only emperor. It's got two words. Oh, in you're row. right. It's got two words. That's true. Yeah. Um, like if I were to totally make a guess, I would say this is like a, a, a no gods or kings, only men situation. Like similarly to let B be the finale of seem, which according to that annotation, which does make sense, a possible literal paraphrase, paraphrase of this sentence might read, let artifice and illusion give way to plain reality. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think those two lines might have a similar meaning. Well, I, I don't know to what extent this is just because that was like the, the voice of the time, because I am really, really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but assuming this isn't just like how poets were all meant to write at this time, like I, I, I am sort of getting, and, and this is also, you know, conceivably just me bringing stuff in, which is something I'm very prone to doing. It just seems like something he wrote about an actual way he was at where he had a lot of warmth for this lady and i i would be delighted in my stupid bird like way if i died and someone wrote that about me i'd probably sit up in my coffin to read it <laughs> and i'd say nice going wallace stevens thanks note to self <laughs> please let me out i was just having a nap <laughs> I, I'm intrigued. The sketch you were talking about earlier, someone's like, oh, I, I make theater to be impenetrable. Yeah, yeah. That's something that I've I've just sort of been thinking about this week because I, um, I've been working on a script, which is an embarrassing thing to say out loud. <laughs> Can't be unsaid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's on record now. It, it, I've been sort of getting, getting help from a, a, a professional friend and the feedback I'm getting is like, like, like to do stuff that like I, I've, consciously thought to myself about like oh i could do this but i won't because that that would be like so cliche and stupid but like like that's still something that unless you're looking for it and consciously trying to like find or avoid cliche like you want the 
But like I, I used to say, like if I ever write something with like a, a quirky, quippy uh, high school girl protagonist, like you should mm-hmm. just shoot me. OK, we've got enough of those. Uh, but it turns out they sell or at least I'm assured they sell. I don't know if they actually do sell yet. But going from that logic, I don't know, man, maybe maybe the crowd pleasers have something. They certainly have money. Thomas Kincaid, I'm told, uh, was a very successful person. Uh, well, he committed all of those crimes that I'm not legally allowed to allude to. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't have any cliches. You know, it doesn't sort of lean towards even being interpretable, I think. I do think, like, if you want to be seen as a real artist, you have to you have to keep away from that stuff. But you say that your professional friend says lean into it. So, you know, so make your choice. Is it? <laughs> Are you making pop art? Are you making uh, whatever this is? I want a professional friend. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, I'll tell you what. It's a script about borrowers building giant robots and flying around in little toy Gundams. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh... Maybe I shouldn't have expected that to be artistically valid. Uh, Maybe that was the real mistake, was to think this is going to win me a Nobel. You'd be surprised. That's all I'm going to say. You'd be surprised. Okay. (laughs) I'll gird my loin. (laughs) Uh, The other thing that the emperor of ice cream might be uh, is maybe in the 50s, there was like uh, a series of TV commercials for ice cream. Where that was a recurring line that, like, maybe there was a joke where uh, the kid who wanted ice cream, like, got up on the table and put on a crown and said, I am the emperor of ice cream. And then, and then there was a little laugh track. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> maybe this poem is a reference to that. And you just can't find that now because if you search for the emperor of ice cream, all the results are for this poem. And they have occluded the TV commercial from our history. I think that's probably likely, yeah. Yeah, that's got to be what it is. He was writing about TV at the time. <laughs> right. Hmm. No, well, not not necessarily that the poem is about TV, but he's like, I'm going to make a funny reference to this TV commercial in my poem about a funeral. Well, Wallace well, well, Stevens was a big fan of jingles. Cause I, I remember he wrote that other poem, um, Emperor of Lucky Charms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that emperor doesn't exist anymore after this poem. <laughs> Every time we say Emperor of Ice Cream, for some reason, I think of uh, the King of Carrot Flowers from uh, that Neutral Milk Hotel album. Oh. I mean, I, I guess they're both kind of elegiac. I'll have something to say about ice cream soon. But in the meantime, would you like to do, do another topic? <laughs> Absolutely. Erica, your topic is Andre Tarkovsky, game designer. Oh, yeah. So um, I love Pathologic 2 a lot, but I am really kind of obsessed with the original pathologic game. So I've, I've been meaning to talk to somebody who knows about this. If I were to yeah. play one of these games, could I just skip right to two or do I need to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. can skip to two. Okay. It's, it's not a, it's not a sequel. It's kind of a remake and it makes a lot more sense. Okay. Um, and it probably is playable. And I don't know that one is really playable. That's yeah. I, I've tried. <laughs> I've tried playing that game, and it was really so, off-putting. Yeah, I totally feel scooped on this though because um, I put this topic in a couple of weeks ago. Waypoint has since come out with like an episode about Tarkovsky and games because oh. they were playing. I'll just call it Stalker, but it's S T A L K E R with you know dots. This episode is not going to come out for like another month and a half, so. With the news cycle, yeah, everybody will have forgotten what Waypoint said, or it'll just become a genre of news item, and then this is just- Oh, that's true. Yeah, and I decided not to listen to it, because I wanted to kind of bring my own um, own take to this. But if you look up, you know, Pathologic and Reviews, um, they will point to the kind of unplayability of the game. I, I have not played it. Like, I watch a lot of Let's Plays. I have problems with my wrists and stuff, and I just don't want to um, spend- a hundred hours piloting a game that yeah. is probably unplayable. <laughs> My wrists are fine. And I, I also don't want to spend hundred hours piloting a game. Yeah. I can't play games because my wrists are busy. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> busy wrists make for busy minds. <laughs> What's that saying? Let me tell you, there's a lot of JRPGs with one-handed control mechanics and I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, like, it's probably great. Horrible. Like, for someone with only... It just it just feels sleazy. 
Yeah, yeah, it sounds sleazy for sure. Yeah, this does not describe this game. This is like an all hands on deck kind of game, and there's probably, I guess, there might be a few frames that you could get something out of in that way, but uh, it, the graphics are bad. So anyway, like Tarkovsky is a, a filmmaker. Um, he's a Soviet filmmaker, and when you read about Pathologic, the game, people will always refer to like how inspired this is by Tarkovsky in ways that you would have to be a film student to understand, or they'll just refer to Tarkovsky without getting into like what makes this so much like Tarkovsky. And I really love Tarkovsky and I I wanted to go through and, and kind of see like what influences like kind of ended up in Pathologic. And then I started watching his movies and really realizing that his movies and his interpretation of novels by Stanislaw Lem are like entire genres of video games by themselves. Like like for example, if you if you watch Solaris, it's about a guy who's a scientist and he goes to a space station. Something bad has happened on the space station. The scientists are going crazy. And you have to listen to a lot of audio and video logs to piece together what has happened. <laughs> and so, like, this is the first example of this anywhere. I almost can't think of a video game except now that cat's log game that, like, doesn't follow, <laughs> doesn't follow that template. Um, but there is a movie called Stalker. Um, and I think Stalker is, like, really the... Is that Stalker with dots or Stalker no without dots? dots? Yeah, no it's, dots. It's, no dots. Uh, it would be like stockier. It's more closely related, I think, in some ways to Pathologic than the game Stalker. So hmm. the movie, which is a little bit unlike the novel... Roadside Picnic, right? Yeah, Roadside Picnic. Yeah. The movie is about a guy who is a stalker, and he takes um, these people who have kind of unknown motives into a zone. And the way that they have to move around the zone and interact with the zone is entirely based on this guy's um, what look like superstitions and his like weird um, personal tics and his, his sort of orders. But the mysteries of the zone and why it exists are only alluded to and they're not really explained. The place that they come from is like their real lives is shot in this very bland, maybe like monochromatic palette. Um, it has like no, there's no life there. People are poor. There's no economics. It's very oppressive. There's a lot of military presence. And the the zone is full of color and full of nature and everything. And when they sort of move into this zone, um, you see that the characters kind of represent um, different maybe like aspects of personal philosophy and that's what drives their motives. The color schemes, the kind of mystery that doesn't quite get resolved and even like down to the the walls, like if you look at the walls in in Stockier, they're destroyed and like this just looks like pathologic. Hmm. There are like long passages like where they're traveling by like open kind of cart on train rails to the zone where you're just for minutes just watching somebody and there's no dialogue or anything. It's just the traveling. And that's what it sort of feels like when you're in the game Pathologic, like running around from place to place to place. Um, and the color palette is becoming dimmer and or, or brighter, depending on whether this zone is infected or not. Whereas like the game stalker with the dots, you have something that's like very unlike the feel of these Tarkovsky movies like it's basically chernobyl has happened and this is why all of these things are are happening so like there's no there's no mystery and i i couldn't even like watch the majority of a let's play of this game because it doesn't kind of resemble the the original material that it's it's kind of sourced on so it wasn't it wasn't that interesting to me but tarkovsky's movies in general a lot of them are about nostalgia and childhood and themes that like persist with you into adulthood where you can't quite separate those things. Um, he does use these like changing color palettes. And then he often has just sort of like 
a representation of the military or a representation um, of the government in some way. And those things feel very close to pathologic for me. Pathologic by itself is like um, a game that I think um, exceeds any kind of source material of Tarkovsky. Like the, the, the endings, the perspectives you get from the different characters, the way that the entire uh, world is explained to you once you've played through all of the endings. Um, it's just outstanding. But I wouldn't call it like a playable game in the same way that a lot of Tarkovsky's movies are just incredibly painful to watch because uh, big sections of them don't make any sense or nothing's happening or you're just watching something without reason. But they, they feel very similar to me. And I, I do recommend watching the movie Stalker. It's, it's really wonderful. I've silenced everyone. Are you sleeping? <laughs> it's on my list. I'm, I'm fascinated. Sorry. I'm fascinated by this and I want you to just keep talking about it. Yeah. We yeah, but you know, there are other topics in this bucket. <laughs> you know what? All the trouble with this bucket is all the topics are are, are struggling to get out and they're pulling each other back in. <laughs> That's got a crab mentality. Of the Tarkovsky movies that I watched um, recently, I, I also recommend Solaris, which is fairly fun to watch. Mirror is considered like a, a really great movie, um, but it's, in my opinion, closer to the Emperor of Ice Cream. Like, <laughs> people wrote him angry letters about how awful the movie was, and, and they uh, couldn't sit through it. And, you know, the Soviet Union should not be supporting artists who make such slop and... <laughs> stuff yeah. like that um but it is it is a great movie yeah i haven't seen the movie but i have read the book solaris and it's a page turner it's super interesting oh yeah solaris is that um it is dennis Olim, right yeah yeah yeah. Yep. yeah 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 i mean it, it's worth even going further and and just reading the original stannis Olim stuff like his his stuff is really great. My husband has read several hundred books during the pandemic and keeps going back for more Stennis on Lem. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to remember the last Lem book I read. It was like there's like a like a conference of people from the future or something, and one of them's getting assassinated in the past. I don't know. Oh wow. I don't know. It's one of these things like I, I am somewhat of a completionist. Um I fear starting it because I will read all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I I read about pathologic in 2008. Oh, that that article that everybody read. Yes. Okay, we all read this, so I'll just I'll describe it to the to the listeners. This was by Quentin Smith. It's it's three, it's three separate articles um, going into detail about back when the idea that games could be about more than like running around and shooting people was a new idea. Mm. Or, or like but when we had forgotten and, for, and then re before we remembered again. And it, it definitely left me aching to play it, except that like I tried playing it and it's super unplayable, which is discussed in the article. Like yeah. you watch Let's Plays of this. I feel like that would be – if you're not actually making any choices, I feel like that would be even more insufferable. No, I don't. I don't think so. I I really don't think so. Like I I've I've watched like a number of reviews of Pathologic to to see what people think about it, and most people just complain about the combat a lot because like a rat <laughs> yeah. can just kill you, and like there are consequences to dying. Yeah, it's hard to recover from those things. It's hard to get a handle on um how to avoid these like completely unnecessary deaths, but. Other people think that's really like a feature of the game, kind of core to the whole experience of the game is like this powerlessness. And one person, I can't, I can't remember uh, who, who made this review on YouTube, but I think there are a few popular ones, um, said like the, the fact that on day two, like money becomes worthless, you know, it, it feels very hard, but like you really experience in that way what it's like, um, not to be poor, but to live in a, a non-functioning economy, yeah. which is like a totally different experience. The Bachelor playthrough I watched, um, I think her name is Lila Dyer play it. Oh yeah, that's a great, That's a, I didn't know how to pronounce that, but that's a great Let's Player. Yeah, she's, she's wonderful. And it's very calming. And I think it alleviates some of the the problems with the game where you're just alone and, and walking from place to place to place to place. 
um, because you have somebody else's thoughts. Like it's almost like much better as an experience as as a let's play. Um, and then Sulmatul um, did the other two characters, and he is a person who um, knows this game inside and out does all of the quests that are like very important to do and knows how to get the best endings and everything. It's not like a blind playthrough at all. And he's actually a doctor. Um, so uh, I started watching Lila Dyer's um, Let's Play several years ago. And then the actual pandemic hit while I was watching the Soul Matul videos. In his timeline, it was not the pandemic yet, but he was talking about pandemics and it was very like comforting to kind of even be uh in the company of a doctor kind of piloting somebody through a pandemic-ridden city. Uh it was it was kind of an interesting experience because we all have these kind of fears and these modifications of our um of our daily schedules that we have to go through and stuff. And this is like a a safe way to be with somebody else in their thinking about citywide pandemic. Uh, yeah. It was it was just really fascinating. And his his thoughts um just even on the the gameplay are are really wonderful and and make some of the the questions that you would have about playing the game go away. So so my my hesitance in some ways on taking on such a big game that is unplayable is like am I even doing it right? Am I screwing myself from from the first thing that I do. Yeah. And you you often don't know. So to have somebody kind of making those choices in a game that people generally agree is unplayable um, takes some of that pressure away from you. On the other hand, having somebody really know what they're doing it kind of might detract from the atmosphere of hopelessness that it, the game is intended to convey. But you'll just you'll just give up on it. Like how many times are you going to die or fail missions or kill the people that you're responsible for by mistake. On the other hand, like is maybe that's a better way to experience pathologic than like an expert sailing through it with ease, like speed running it. Yeah, no, it's certainly still not easy for the people who know what they're doing. <laughs> okay. Well that's good to hear. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It's interesting how um you're taking this with the eyes of a game designer. Cause I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in, in the realm of standup and uh, my, my, my partner actually came home from a, a, a stand-up show the other night, and she said, I, I did, wasn't sure if I watched this performer correctly. You know, he, he'd gotten great reviews all <laughs> over the city. He, he was in town for one night only, and, and she was like, I wasn't sure if I, if I was, was watching the stand-up right. It just, I was left feeling lost and confused and depressed yeah. and, and upset. And it, it felt like every joke was sort of a, another step down in a, in a battle of attrition that I was losing. Wow. Yeah. I'll tell you, you wouldn't usually review a performer like that positively. Right, right. But then films, perhaps. Films are different. Perhaps games are different. Perhaps stand-ups are the last people to discover the co concept of tragedy. Although <laughs> we are making great inroads into that. Most stand-up sort of hours are, are usually about uh, coping with the loss of your grandfather. Something like that. Uh recovering from well, cancer. Well, you would also need to be the stand-up routine that's 30 hours long. Yeah. I've definitely felt like I've been in those. <laughs> <laughs> is, is your partner also in stand-up comedy? Oh, thank goodness, no. Okay, okay. Because you guys, like, as a rule, are a tough audience. Like, it would take a lot to make you laugh. Um, I have heard that stand-ups like to watch other stand-ups suffer. Like, that's oh, a, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a sadomasochistic thrill. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, I, I know how hard it is to, to, you know, die on stage. In fact, I don't know how nice it feels to succeed because I've, I've never done it. But I, I, I do try to support other stand-ups. Uh, mm -hmm, but I, mm -hmm. I, you know, sometimes if I'm not feeling it, I, it sounds kind of weird. I'll be in the back zone. I'll be like, you know, I, I hear you manage a baseball team. You'll hear me in the audience going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Just trying to help out, you know. It just seems to, to alarm everyone else. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Uh, and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Oh. <laughs> Erica, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am at TRB on Twitter, where I spend a lot of time in the Topic Lords chat. 
Um, and I invite you all to to join us. It's fun in there. To get into the Topic Lords chat, you become a patron on Patreon. You can just like pledge and then delete your pledge before you get charged. I don't give a shit. I'll I'll still invite you to the Topic Lords Discord. I just want to say that like a lot of the the patrons have themselves become Topic Lords. It's true. It's your it's your cheapest way to fame, and um, <laughs> people really enjoy it, and and we really enjoy it. So yeah, it's worth it. And Abby, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I'm right behind you. Yikes! <laughs> Just so you know, I looked. Just, yeah, I thought you'd want to know that. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I'm, I'm Abby Den. Uh, Abby Den is the main one. I I've I've been waiting for six months to hear back from from a, a publisher about a pitch I sent in March, and every follow up email I've sent to the editor who I I I'd, I'd been talking to was like, when are you gonna give me an answer? And he said, in a couple of weeks. I just need to give the other editors time to look at it. And then I was socially talking to a different editor from that place who said that uh, it had never been sent out. So I don't know what that means. I do. That was a couple hours ago I found out. I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm kind of sad. Because I'd given him six months because I'd heard like, oh, everyone's been, been, you know, gotten so many pitches from, you know, everyone in the pandemic's writing. And please don't give me bad news, Erica. No, I just have a simple way of solving your problem. Send it again. No. Retitle it anal sampling mechanism. Okay, you've won me over. <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but I've been won over. Catch on like fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on Topic Lords. Thank you. An honor and a privilege. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!